from the Gettysburgian and 91.1 WZBT Gettysburg. I'm Ben Pont, and this is On Target. I'm Gary Mangala, and today on Target, we will be doing our last interview with President JMR, and we'll talk about it later on. Stay with us. And we're thrilled to be joined today by the president of Gettysburg College, Janet Morgan Riggs. President Riggs, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here, Ben. So as we sit here today, we were just counting. There are 52 days left in your presidency. Uh, has, it, has it set in yet that your time as an employee of Gettysburg College is winding down? Yes, it has, although uh, there are a number of people who have asked me if I'm just sort of cruising till the end. And, you know, there is no cruising in a college presidency, so I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll be uh, busy right until the last day. But uh, honestly, I have a countdown clock on my desk that my son gave me, so I'm very aware of how many days are left. <laughs> Well, yesterday I was listening to the live stream you did with uh, Joe Lynch, and I was—I I think he said 52 days, and so I went to subtract one, and then we checked the math, and, and yeah. there's one extra day in yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I knew because I'd heard you say before the other countdown, was, she has a countdown, so she'll know how many days she has left. We better live get it Live fact-checking. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so, President Riggs, last year when you announced your plan to retire, you told the faculty that you intended to fully engage until June 30th and had a lot still you planned to do. Um, I think it's fair to say that this semester in particular, uh, you put that put, was put to the test. Um, as you reflect, how would you assess the way that the college has handled the situation involving Bob Garthwaite? You know, that's been a difficult situation for everyone. Mm -hmm. Certainly uh, difficult for, for Bob himself, difficult um, for our students, difficult for alumni, difficult for our staff here, our board, me, uh, everyone. It's just a really uh, complex situation. But I think that there, there are a couple of good outcomes here. Um, one is that we now have developed a way of responding to request for renaming. Uh, that was done at a very high level with a lot of uh, input from the campus community. And so now we have a way to respond to this request and to other requests that might come along. And so I think that's a really important thing. And this is something we're find, uh, finding other institutions are doing as well. So we're, we're certainly not alone. The other thing that I've said many times is that I think we have learned a lot in this process. I certainly have learned a lot about our history. I have heard uh, from many Jewish alumni who have talked about their experiences here on our campus, which were not always so positive. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of, it's painful to hear this, but I think uh, many of them have felt um, empowered maybe to, to talk about this now in a way they had not before. Uh, and I also hear, you know, from our current Jewish students that there are, there continue to be some challenges. So that's really important. But the other thing, of course, this opened up when we had the campus community discussion was uh, around issues of campus climate generally for those who have felt marginalized on our campus. And I think, you know, those conversations are so important. They need to continue. We need to continue to take action related to the concerns that have been brought forward. So I think there's been a lot of learning. So it's been kind of uh, a painful process, I think, in many ways. But uh, I always sort of try to focus on what we learn and what the outcomes are. And I, I do think there are some positive outcomes. 
And so to ask a question about something else that's been kind of going on this semester, you said last week at the final faculty meeting over which I guess you'll preside um, that you seem to incur in, in your closing remarks, you seem to encourage the faculty to think maybe a little more broadly about what the liberal arts education model, the curriculum can be, um, and, and perhaps that, you know, professional prerequisites professional preparation need not be kind of a, 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 you know, an anathema to what we're doing here. <laughs> um, and, and so as someone who has spent, uh, and I assume that was in the context of the business major, but maybe more broadly. Yes, more broadly, yeah. But I guess as someone who has spent the last, you know, decade leading the institution as the president, and before that you were the provost, as you kind of think about what the college has done with the curriculum recently and, and what's on the horizon, what do you think still needs to be done, and what can position the college curriculum specifically to be kind of well-positioned for the future? We know that there's this demographic crisis or right. looming that, that could be. That's a big question, and I'm, I'm not uh, in a position to answer <laughs> that. Uh, all of that requires a lot of faculty discussion and a lot of thought, obviously. But, you know, my, my point was that as a liberal arts college, when you look at our mission and goals, we focus, as we should, on preparing students for civic engagement and leadership, uh, for making important contributions to their communities and to the world at large. Um, that, that is not so different <laughs> from um, what our, our, our graduates will do in the workplace. That is the goals that we have for our students. Um, in terms of, of, of personal fulfillment, civic engagement, contributing to a democracy, actually fit beautifully with those same goals that help to prepare students for the workplace. So, so my point was, these things actually work well together. And I think many times we feel like talking about professional preparation is not as lofty are not as important. Right. And my sense is, no, we need to be talking about that too. We do such a good job of preparing students for the important work they will be doing as professionals when they leave. And I think we, we need to feel good about that and lift that up as well. In terms of the curriculum and how you prepare students as, that way, I actually think the goals we have for students now already do that. That's not to say that we shouldn't constantly go back to them, think through them, think if they need um, some alterations or, or what have you. And that's fine. And our faculty will do that. I think, I think our faculty feel ready to do that. I know our department chairs have recently been talking with Chris Zappi, our provost, about um, thinking, rethinking curricular goals, either reaffirming them or making some modifications to them. And that's a long process. And that may begin next year. I don't know. I think that would be great. In terms of majors, you know, Personally, I often think um, a person's major is far less important than the general skills they learn, regardless of what their major is. But I do think, um, practically speaking, there probably are some areas of study that today's students are interested in that we ought to be offering um, because it's what students are looking for. And, and so why not if they fit with our liberal arts goals? And I, I happen to think, you mentioned the business major, I do happen to think that a well-crafted business major, and in particularly the proposal of the management department uh, put forward, does fit really beautifully with our goals for students. And so um, 
you know, yeah, I hope I hope that gets reconsidered next year. I certainly um, trust the faculty to think that through carefully. Um, I know our faculty felt a little pressed, a little rushed at the end of the semester. So it was the right thing, I think, to provide a little uh, additional time for that conversation to continue and maybe some modifications of the proposal and so on. Mm -hmm. um, we ha you, you probably know we're also looking at a, the possibility of a data science minor. Again, I, th I think that's wonderful. That's great. And our faculty will talk about that next fall. So what you want is a, a curriculum that's constantly being looked at, that's dynamic. Um, and, and I think the other thing, and I mentioned this at the faculty meeting as well, is we also need to keep returning to the way we deliver the curriculum. It's not just what we teach, but it's also how we teach, how we engage students, the use of technology, um, the use of group work, the integration of research, all of that I think is really, really important. And so maybe now to kind of shift gears to some of the more big picture aspects of your presidency as a whole, as opposed to just what's been going on this semester, what would you say over the past you know, 10 years or so as as president has been kind of the, the term I've used in several interviews recently is animating principle, but kind of what's been at the heart of your efforts that kind of ties them together in some way? That is a really interesting question, and no one has asked me quite like that. The animating principle of my presidency. You know, that'd be interesting to ask other people <laughs> what they what think. They think. Is I, your animating principle or like their own? No, it's mine. Like, what, what, did they, what do you think Janet Riggs' animating principle was? I bet you get a variety of responses Probably to that. They would. might not all be positive. I don't know. Um, and it's hard to pick one. Uh, but I will. I'll pick one. For me, the animating principle is doing all we can to provide the best, best educational experience. And I cast that broadly. That's the academic program. And that's a co-curricular experience as well. The best educational experience we can for our students. I mean, that to me has to be the focus underlying everything you do, every decision you make. What is the best, what is going to be the best set of opportunities for our students? Mm -hmm. And that might segue into the next question, which, um, you know, is probably not the most comfortable subject to consider. But what, what do you hope your legacy will be as Gettysburg <laughs> College's president? I'm sure someone's asked you that. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a big question. And I don't that's not the way I think. Honestly, I, I don't think about what's my legacy. I, I you know, I have been all about trying to. Uh, bring this community together, uh, again, focus on the student experience, always be mission focused. And um, one thing that I've said often about this community, and I think it's something that distinguishes this community, and I hope I have reinforced it, I don't, I don't claim credit for it, but I hope I reinforced it, is that members of this com community really embrace the college's mission. And again, that doesn't matter if you're a faculty member, if you're you know, an administrator like me sitting over in Pennsylvania Hall, if you're the person out cutting the grass, mm -hmm. serving the food, whatever it is, I do feel like this is a community that is focused on the students and really embraces the mission. And I, you know, if, if there's something <laughs> I leave behind, I hope it's uh, that continuing focus. Mm -hmm. Now, I think 
The thing that uh, people always think about when they think of you is how long you've been involved at Gettysburg. Um, yeah, I sound like I'm 100 years old when no, you start talking about not. that, Gloria. Absolutely not. But like, you know, you, you know, your president who was also a student here, who was also a faculty member here, was also a provost here. That's not always the case. No. You know, um, and you've been president for 10, 10 11 years. 11, yeah. yeah. And, you know, as much as you have done for this college as all of those positions, you know, Time moves on. Um, what if? Do you have any regrets or things that you wish you had gotten to but didn't at your time as president? Yeah, you know, you always have a long list, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Um, given the uh, events of this spring, I wish we could have done even more in terms of creating a more inclusive environment. I think we took. I think we we took some great steps. Uh, you know, it has to be a continuum. When I talk to some of our recent alumni, they say, wow, things have changed. This is so much better than it was, you know, than even four or five years ago when I was a student. But, you know, when I talk to current students, it's clear there is still so much work to be done here. And so, you know, you always wish you could have pushed that a little bit further, made a little bit more progress. So that's, that's certainly one. Um, I think everybody knows, too. I wish we had been able to raise the money to do the renovation of Flag as a global center. We do have a pot of money sitting there. That effort will continue. The focus of the building could shift a little bit over time, depending upon, um, you know, what, what the institutional needs are. Uh, but that's, that's certainly one that I, I wanted to get done and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed about. But, you know, my husband reminds me that all of this is a continuum. So, for example... The Jager Center got built while I was president. And maybe I get, quote, credit for that. But, you know, it, it was those who came before me who did the planning and did some of the fundraising for that that allowed it to happen. So it's, that's kind of, you know, just the way it works. You, you have your little piece of the, um, of the continuum. Yeah. Um, and I think somewhat on that same note, but a bit more positively, what is your fondest memory as president? My fondest memory as president. I can't pick one, Gloria. <laughs> I, I really can't because there are so many. There are so many, really. Um, but if I can group them, it, it's those times, the, those traditions where we come together as a community. So commencement weekend. I mean... That, that's, a, that's a wonderful time, and it's a time of celebration and a time, you know, when you see students and you remember where they were when they came in as first-year students and seeing the, the progress and the development is just so gratifying. So, so you know, those, those kinds of times, commencement, twilight hour is one of my personal favorites. I love that first-year walk, convocation. These traditions are really probably um, those moments that, you know, make those fondest memories for me. What's been the most surprising thing to you about being president? <laughs> well, I, you know, the most surprising thing to me was right at the beginning when I was doing this job as an interim, and I was surprised how much I liked it. <laughs> and, I, and the reason I liked it was because when you're president, you get to do so many different things, and you get to interact with so many different people. So... I mean, it's it's just it's energizing. I mean, it's also exhausting. Let's face it, but it is energizing in a way. And that that's me. I was surprised 
when I got into this job that, wow, this is, this is actually really way more dynamic and interesting than I ever had imagined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure you've given several pieces of advice to President-elect Giuliano, uh, your, your successor. Uh, but what do you think, you know, is the most, most important thing, or you don't have to limit it to just one, mm -hmm. but a couple things maybe that might not be immediately obvious, but that you would advise him to focus on or to do or maybe do differently than you did yeah. or anything like that? Well, I can, I can talk in generalities and then some specifics. Um, I guess I'll start with a generality first, which is that he has to be his own person in the job. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's something that um, can be hard to learn depending upon your personality. I think for me, when I started in this job, I kept looking at other presidents and thinking, oh, I should be more like that. I'm not, you know, not measuring up to, you know, this person or that person. And then at some point I just realized, you know, I just have to be me in this job. And I, that's one of the things that I, I certainly would want to reinforce for him. He just, he needs to take this job and make it his own. Um, and always, again, always keep the student experience at the center of all of the decision making. And he also has to know you can't keep everybody happy all the time. It's just impossible. So just give it up. Just focus <laughs> on, you know, what is going to be the best for Gettysburg College. Um, in terms of, you know, specific things that are going to be important, they're there are two that I think are absolutely key and not to sound like a broken record, but continuing to push forward in terms of campus climate, uh, being sure that this is a welcoming community to, to all is so important and that work must continue. It absolutely must continue. The second thing, frankly, is around the financial model of liberal arts colleges, not just Gettysburg College. Um, I think we're getting to a point uh, where some things probably are going to have to shift. Uh, we have been working hard to sustain the quality of the student experience, but also keep a, a lid on an ever-expanding budget. Um, trying to get the right balance there is going to be really important. I know as an institution, we want to continue to be able to provide financial assistance to students who want to come to Gettysburg and, and do have the potential to really make the most of this experience. Um, and so just the financial model and making the budget work is going to be, uh, I think, a really important focus for him. It certainly has been for me. And I think all liberal arts colleges are, mm -hmm. are going through this together. Um, long term, I do hope there's a little more collaboration between colleges uh, to advance perhaps some efficiencies behind the scenes would be mm -hmm. something worth pursuing. And maybe as a bit of a light, lighter hearted follow up to that, what advice would you give to your successor about, you know, living in Gettysburg? Well, you know, he comes from Boston. And so Gettysburg is a great town, but it is a little different a little than Boston. A little different than Boston. But, I, I, you know, I think actually I do think Gettysburg has a lot to offer. Uh, he has already begun to meet some community members. You probably know, Ben, since you're on the transition team, that Jane Hyde uh, is on that team as well and is going to help him meet people. Um, so my advice is just to, to learn about the community as he can, uh, enjoy, enjoy it, make some friendships. Um, I know Susan, his wife is very interested in getting engaged in the community. And I think that's wonderful. So I think, you know, as he will with the college community, he just needs to take his time and, and get to know, um, some of the really, 
you know, sweet spots of, of, of a really nice town here. Mm-hmm. And as a final question, and what I suppose is likely the Gettysburgians' final interview with you as president, um, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about some of these themes a little bit already, but maybe to ask it in a slightly different way and to invoke a, a Gettysburg phrase, uh, what would you say is the unfinished work uh, of, of, the Getty, of the college right now that falls not just to, you know, President-elect Giuliano, but to the whole of the campus community mm-hmm. to undertake moving forward into the next, you know, 5, 10, 20, however many years. Yeah. But the, the that, and, and I guess for the community more broadly than just our next president. You know, Again, we're we're feeling all of the strains of our nation and our world on our campus, right? You know, all the stresses and strains related to race and ethnicity and class and gender and religion and you name it. And I, we as a community should be able to do better than the nation on these issues. Uh, we're a place where we ought to be able to advance constructive dialogue, where people ought to be able to sit down and really talk through difficult issues respectfully. I think we do a pretty good job of this, but I definitely think it could improve, and that's why I put it in this unfinished work category. I was saying, I actually spoke to a group, um, I've talked to a lot of groups lately, but I recently spoke to a group about your generation of students and how different this generation of students is than other generations I've seen. And I think, you know, a lot of those differences are around something that I think is really important, and that is uh, a real focus on equality and justice, uh, equity, in a way that I have not seen in past generations. And I, 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 you know, I just, I trust, I trust all of you as you stay here to keep lifting that up, to keep talking about how we can do better. Um, I just admire the passion around those values, which are so important to us as a college and to our nation. And I think continuing those conversations in civil dialogue is, you know, that's the unfinished work, right? That's, mm-hmm. and, you know, with that, and I've said this many times too, we need to be forgiving of each other when we make mistakes. Uh, we need to be able to talk about them. Uh, and we, we need to be able to move past talk to action. And, I, and again, I think, I think your generation has, you're there. You're there. Maybe we need to catch up with you a little bit. All right, well. President Riggs, congratulations on your retirement, and thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, and Ben, I think I'm bookends on your year, right? You know, you I, I was your first podcast and the, as, this, as the year began, and I'm your last, so I'm honored to be bookends <laughs> to the program this year. Thanks so much. We're honored to have you. Thanks. Let's get into it. We just did an interview with President Riggs. Gary, top-level takeaways from the interview. 
top level takeaways. Um, you know, every single time I speak to her, um, both like for an interview for the Gettys version or on target or just in passing, I just remember how well spoken she is. Um, she's very quick, but she still just seems to know it. I don't know if she knew what we were going to ask her or whatever, but she, she seemed to have a good handle on what she's going to say. Then again, a lot of the questions we asked her are things that I'm sure she's asked all the time. Like what's your legacy going to be? Or, um, what's your fondest memory? Um, something that I did find interesting was her response to, um, our question about the, uh, whole Bob Garthwaite situation. Um, that one seemed a bit, I don't even know how to explain it, but it just seemed like, you know, this is what I have to say. So this is what I'm going to say. Yeah, I got that sense to some extent. Um, you know, I think that this situation certainly did personally affect her. I think that, uh, you know, Bob Garthwaite is someone whose donate she was probably he was probably the first major donor or one of the first major donors of her presidency and you know to that end i can see why she would be you know donate uh, fundraising is such a major part of being president but it's probably the one area in which she had no experience or limited yeah. experience coming into the job. And so, you know, when a major donor of your presidency, someone whom you have serving, someone you have serving on the board of trustees, someone who has endowed a leadership center when one of your big priorities is the student experience and leadership development in particular, I can see why that would be personally affecting. You know, I think that the store, the the way that campus will remember this situation is still a story that has not yet been written, and I think a lot of it will depend on what happens um, with what we talked about last week, which is the outcome of this review of the name of the Garthwaite Leadership Center. Um, mm. But yeah, I agree with you that I thought it was an interesting take and i'm not sure it's one that everyone would agree with how so well i don't know that everyone would say that this has been a learning experience or a positive outcome or a mm -hmm. and i don't think she uh, she didn't exactly say that this was an unequivocally positive thing yeah but i think that there are people and i, I don't want to speak for anyone so i'll just speak for myself to say that i don't actually think and I've said this on this podcast before, I don't think that this situation necessarily worked out well for the college or worked out well for anyone. Yeah, I agree. I think that the conversations that have happened since were stilted, were not terribly productive, uh, and were meant to make people feel heard or included or good or better. But as we talked about last week, I don't think we ever really got from feelings to values mm -hmm. and I think that values are what is important here. And I have not been part of nor been privy to any conversation in a formal setting mm -hmm. that has probed those issues. Certainly, I think those conversations have been happening in some pockets of campus. Among them are, you know, what we talked about last week. But I don't know that this situation, I, I know, I understand why people want to frame it as something 
from which we at least learned or, you know, had some something positive come out of it. But to me, I haven't seen anything positive come out of it. Have you? No, I think if anything, at least for me personally, it's made me a bit of a cynic um, about the way our administration handles things. Um, you know, coming in to Gettysburg, you know, I found myself specifically, you know, being a part of the Gettysburg and I, I, I think that you and I and like other pockets of campus spend more time, um, speaking to administration than others do just because of our jobs. Um, and for me, you know, I have a great deal of respect for a lot of those people that I've come into contact with president Riggs included, but I think in this situation, particularly the need to just, you know, try to wrap it up with a bow and then even just say that we learned something. I don't know if I learned much from this. You know, I don't think that a lot of the discourse, if you want to call it, if you even want to call it that taught me much. Um, I thought that some people brought up some good points that were not elaborated on in the forum. I think Uh, you know, if anything, the thing I learned about was I didn't know that Hogan's Heroes existed. You know, Um, we talked about that, I think, when we had our long discussion about this issue when it came up. For me, that's all I learned was just about a TV show that I didn't know about because my parents didn't grow up watching it. So like, that is it. I didn't learn, you know, anything other than that, because there was not a situation where we had that. I remember we, you and I were talking about this recently. Um, there, there's something to be said about the need for administrators or like just anyone. It's a very politician-y way of going about it to say, you know, this has happened, this has happened, we've talked about it, now we've learned something and isn't that good for everyone. And, you know, that's great and all. Um, I think talking about it's great. And in some situations, that's fine. You know, I think when, when um, last semester, when we had the uh, Tree of Life massacre, you know, we talked about it. And that's frankly all that could be done on our campus for, you know, talking about it and having more of an education because it didn't happen on our campus. It's not like, you know, we had any say in any of the judicial ramifications of it or anything like that. So, yeah, that made sense. However, with the Garthwaite situation, this happened on our campus. This happened to us and like was because of us, like as a collective. Um, and there's far more that could and should be done. I'm not going to say on which end. I'm not saying like, you know, renaming the GLC. I'm not saying, you know, whatever, but more should have and could have been done just as something as simple as, you know, actually talking about things rather than just, you know, the thing I keep coming back to is when, when uh, Dean Ramsey kind of just wrapped it up and said it was a perfect comment. Um, when Jordan Knox spoke about how she felt as a black woman on campus and in on this side of the country. But the thing about that is, A, what Jordan said, cool. Yeah, like I thought that, that was a really great point. I think that I related to that in some ways and I didn't in others. And I thought that that was in some ways what the liberal arts, like that kind of discourse is supposed to be like you relate to some points and then you learn from the things that you don't relate to. And then that becomes something you can relate to. However, that wasn't about Garthwaite. Um, at all. It was about the experience of a black woman on this campus today in 2019. And wrapping it up with that, A, I thought was a big, like, just F you to, 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 to everyone that felt that way, because rather than saying like, you know, there's things that we can do about that. It was just, yeah, that's a great point. And nothing has come from that um, either. Um, We just talk a lot about, you know, 
President Riggs spoke about this in her interview earlier, just about like, there's so much that needs to be done about diversity. There's so much more work that needs to be done. And I'm, I'm getting kind of sick of hearing that, of hearing that there's so much more work that needs to be done. And then the work ends up just being more discourse and nothing comes out of the discourse. Um, yeah. So I don't think I learned anything. I don't think, I, I, th I think the only thing that I learned is that there are students on this campus that are far more mature than we give them credit for um, in, in these types of situations. And there are faculty and staff and administrators that need to see that, recognize that, and allow us to further our own progress rather than only being allowed to say something and then see no progress ever. I know that relates to something that you wanted to talk about as well. Yeah. Um, and maybe the segue into that is that something else President Riggs said that I certainly did agree with. Um, and, and I think she said this, I don't even remember which question it was in response to. I think it was in what kind of is the unfinished work that we mm -hmm. all have still yeah. to do, which is that in terms of having civil dialogue and such, mm -hmm. we need to do better than the world around us. Like it's not enough to, we need to be, certainly we, we don't have a good role model in say Congress or in, you know, any really of the public sphere as to how to do productive and civil dialogue and that we need to do better um, at that. And that was some better than the, than what we see and, and kind of set our own standard there. And I certainly thought that was a, a positive and, and kind of, um, you know, a good comment to, to, to end that interview on as kind of a charge to folks going forward in a, in that vein, I know that, um, something we, I don't know that we've talked about it too extensively. The week it happened was a week we didn't do a podcast, mm -hmm. But certainly it's been a subject of frequent conversation and, and, and coverage in the Gettys Virgin, which has been this controversy around um, Josh Wagner as the commencement speaker. I don't want to get into the nuts and bolts of everything that happened, but this week, uh, Dean of Students Julie Ramsey, the vice president of College Life, sent out a letter to campus um, that I think, Gary, maybe you had a similar reaction to to some of the previous Discourse yeah, that's yeah. Happened. Um, yeah, I, so I read it, um, obviously, because I read everything that's in the Gettys version, um, and you should too. Um, but yeah, I read that, and at first I was a bit confused. So like, I knew that was coming because you told me before it was published that you were publishing something that Dean Ramsey had written. Um, and, you know, I think one point that needs to be made clear is that, you know, Josh has worked in college life since he was a first year. So I, I knew that whatever she was going to write would be in support of Josh. And that's what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be just some like kind of character assessment of Josh. And Dean Ramsey has been pretty hands-on in this whole situation. I know that, um, you know, I've had correspondence with her and I think most of the involved parties have, um, not that I'll call myself an involved party, but like, you know, um, I think everyone that that has been name dropped within this controversy has been in communication with Dean Ramsey. So it made sense for her to put her two cents in. However, um, so she responded to something that uh, Emma Stabeck had written in her piece 
Um, she, so Emma like essentially put in like 13 things that need to be done better. And also just talked about things that she thought were not handled well with this situation and just every situation involving, um, sexual assaults on campus. And Dean Ramsey just said that she agreed with a lot of her points and there wasn't anything said like, this is what we're going to do. There was no directive. There was no game plan. Um, and I think what I said to you originally was just this reads as another like students, great discussion. Administrators will try harder. Uh, this message is brought to you by Dean Ramsey. Like it just didn't do anything. I didn't think that, I don't think that administrators need to put their rubber seal on every situation that happens that they have nothing to say. And I think, you know, I think, um, a, I would be speaking differently if we weren't just like in a podcast and there's words I can't say right now. But um, but I think it just came off to a lot of campus as just a big F you. Um, and I'm sure that's not what she intended by any means. She's a lovely woman. I've spoken to her a few times and, you know, she's always very polite and very friendly. However, you know, when some when you are in a position of power in a situation that's already deeming your position of power problematic in this circumstance. You know, a lot of students, especially when we're when we're not talking about Josh, what this situation has brought up is that this this is not an issue of Josh anymore or him being commencement speaker or this article. I think that just allowed us to bring up this conversation about, you know, um, how the college handles sexual assault, how the college handles the um, the punishment or the sanction of the respondent within sexual assault. Um, I think it talks about the fact that there are people that have been charged with sexual assault and rape that will be walking at commencement on the 19th and how students feel about that. And there will be students in the audience that watch their abusers walking across the same stage that they do. That's the story that we're at now. It's no longer about Josh. And I think for, for that now, the conversation to be there and then for Dean Ramsey to effectively do what was done during the Garthwaite situation and wrap it up with a bow, I thought was really um, ignorant in some ways. Um, I don't want to compare the Garthwaite and this situation, but in some ways I think there's something to be said about a picture versus, you know, being assaulted, um, obviously. And we're in a situation now where people are already upset with how it was handled. Regardless, I, you know, I don't know how they're, their stories are personally handled, but you know, if they feel as though the administration has not handled them properly, and then the administration puts out a letter via Dean Ramsey saying, this is what we're doing. This is like, this is what I've gotten from this situation. I thank you for your discourse. We will try harder. And there's no directive written in for people that already feel like they're not being listened to. You just feel like you're even more so not being listened to. And yeah, yeah. I want to read the ending yeah, of this sure. letter. Um, it was framed in the context of some ongoing conversations that, that two iterations of which happened this week about the future of the college's Office of Violence Prevention, which was initially funded through a Department of Justice grant that is wrapping up. And certainly the future of that office is something that, you know, I think is is worth following. And it's something we intend to follow in the news wing of things, but I do want to read the end of this letter. It says, quote, we know that college communities across the country expect action to be taken in terms of, su of stopping sexual assault on campuses. Mm -hmm. We agree this is imperative, and to do this requires frequent and ongoing communication, both in terms of personal communication and through forums such as these, referring to some forums that happened this past week. We must be poised to hear one another 
when survivors of sexual assault speak up and speak out. When we do, more people will speak up and we can face these challenges and begin to heal together. No. Yeah, I think I think this is definitely a situation where the royal we was not needed or necessary. I think as, as a person who is in the room for those conversations, Dean Ramsey, I'm assuming of Dean Ramsey, um, and as someone who is one of the names that's dropped when people talk about someone dropping the ball in these situations, the royal we, I think, is the big problem with it. I think if she said, this is what I need to do better, this is what my office needs to do better, this is what needs to happen, rather than just saying, you know what, we need to talk more. If I hear one more person on this campus say that we just need to talk more, like, what is that doing? What is you putting into the world just saying that we need to talk more, saying to anyone? Like, I feel like as a liberal arts college and maybe just like as an American college, we're, we've all heard it and it does nothing. Saying we need to talk more does nothing. You think that making like for the for the violence and prevention. So this week, two of the forms that were held were two violence and prevention, um, the Office of Violence and Prevention held two like feedback forums um, and the first form, no one came. The only person that came was my reporter. Um, and then the second one, it was south of 10 people, I think. So just holding these forms isn't like, that's not enough. Just saying like, you know, we've never listened to you in the past. Come tell us again. What? No one wants to do that. Well, I don't think they'd agree with the characterization that they haven't listened in the past. That's what, but if that's what you're being told and it's about someone and like, you know, this isn't something as cut and dry as like an academic dispute or like whatever. This is we're talking about someone's story of sexual assault. If they feel like they're not being listened to in some ways, they're they're the ones that get to say that. I think if anyone on this planet gets to say that someone didn't listen to them is if they don't feel like their story of sexual assault is being heard and carried out properly. I think that the fact that I understand that. So I had a conversation with um, uh, the Title IX coordinator. Um, recently. And she said that, you know, Title IX is for both people. It's for, um, so that's like handling all cases of sexual assault, abuse, domestic violence um, on a college campus. And that's for, you know, faculty, staff, administration, and students specifically. That's what we know it for is for their student work. And it's for both parties. It is for both the um, um, a reporter. The accuser and the accused. Yeah, exactly. It's for both of them. And that makes sense to me. And I understand that like, you know, we're going to have similar to what we do in like the world. We're going to like, I'm mean, not the world, but like in the country with like things that happen outside of college, there's going to be an amount of time and a, and a way in which you are punished. And then you get to go back into society because you've been educated. Like that's how we perceive our justice system to work in a lot of ways. Um, but when we're talking about sexual assault um, and we see cases like um, Brock Turner, for example, coming through and we all are able to sit there and, you know, there was a screaming majority saying that, or not a majority, but there was a very loud group of people throughout the country saying that his punishment was not correct. Like there was not enough time in which he was going to be educated about what he has done. 
And it is just pushing more people to think that it's okay by not providing a harsher punishment, especially when it hits national headlines. Well, so I don't yeah. want to get into that case specifically yeah. too much. That's just the one he I was a, He was yeah. a Stanford um, student, a student at Stanford, and, and a lot of the, you know, the coverage around that and, and a lot of it referred to how, you know, he's done a lot of things and his, you know, he's, he's a swimmer and he's something else. And, and so I, I think that situation got, was certainly magnified in the media. I guess part of the question here is, do you think that the outrage, which I would agree was largely appropriate, was that he didn't have enough time to be educated or that people just wanted more because what you said a minute ago is that it's about educating people who I mean that's all it can like I think that's all it can be in some ways because I mean frankly I don't I don't think that you know just saying that putting someone in jail or prison for 6 months without education is going to stop them from being an assaulter when they come out because if you feel the need to assault, I think assault is different than murder in some ways in that when you assault someone, there's some, like, I don't think anyone who murders someone, except for like the mentally ill, we're all raised to know it's wrong, but because with sexual assault, we're talking about sex. Therefore, like, that's something that you don't, you're like, you weren't three years old and talking about sex with your mother and father. I'm assuming. Correct. Yeah. But like you learn very young that you don't hit people. You learn very young that you don't hurt people. So you say, I guess what you're talking about is more consent than anything. Yeah, consent. Like I think that's something that you don't talk about. And I think if you're not being educated, and I think that's something that we cite as part of our sanctions within Gettysburg College is that if you are um, convicted of assault or any type of abuse, you have to go through some sort of education. And I think that's something that we should strive for in general, because at the end of the day, just putting someone in prison for whatever amount of time and saying you've done this and it was wrong and saying nothing else about it is not making a difference. Yeah, I'm worried here, though, that a we're kind of a field of the original conversation. But secondly, I think we're conflating two things. There's the college judicial processes yeah. and then there's the law. Yeah. And the college does not have any right to imprison anyone for doing anything. Yes, correct. And no so, one's going to jail. Um, if <laughs> Well, right. But yeah. I mean, certainly if people want and, you know, if if, if folks who have been the victims of any crime on campus want, they can bypass whatever college judicial processes they want and, and, and go to the police. A crime isn't not a crime just because it happens on a college campus. And so I guess where we're, you know, we're, I'm not, I kind of lost track of where you were going with this. Yeah. So what I was going to say is essentially on a college campus, or at least at Gettysburg, the way it works or the way I've seen it to work is that if someone is deem that they have assaulted or abused someone for the most part, what we tend to see is they get kicked off campus for a semester and then come back. And apparently there's, you know, some sort of, you know, education process, I keep saying. Um, but for the most part, their version of, um, like, obviously we can't arrest anybody on Gettysburg's campus. So we send them off in the same way you would, um, if someone's deemed like that they need a semester off for academic issues or, you know, that they need whatever. You know, so they go off campus and they come back and then they are a part of this same community again. Um, and there's some sanctions that come through, you know, they might put a no contact um, 
situation in place, a restraining order of sorts, and they might um, be able to putz with the housing a bit so that no one who like no assaulty and assaulter are living in the same building. But I think for a lot of people, the conversation that's come up around this whole thing that's happened within the last three weeks is that other than that, that's all that's done. And for a lot of people that that for them feels like the college is saying that now this person who has assaulted someone who is an who is an assaulter or is an, is a rapist is still, you know, we talk about these proverbial values of Gettysburg College. But if you're elite, like some, there are some people that have been named rapists and have been named assaulters that will leave here with a Gettysburg College degree and are therefore um, being considered for the rest of their lives to be upholding the values of Gettysburg College. And what does that say? Um, or something as simple as the fact that they still get to walk. Like, it's not even like they get their degrees separately. They still have a commencement. They still walk across that stage. They shake whatever hands they shake. They get a diploma. And they are forever considered to be part of, you know, this bullet culture that we celebrate so highly. But what does that say about us that for whatever reason, this person who has done these things that we in every other situation would say would outright say, yeah, what they did was crap. What they did was horrible. But, you know, they still uphold the values of Gettysburg College enough to have a degree and be able to call themselves an alum for the rest of their lives. There's no values test to get a Gettysburg College degree. But, yeah, I see your point. there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a I, I guess, though, where folks in what what folks in administrative positions and otherwise would like to hear. And I agree with you that certainly the calls for conversation and dialogue are about as ubiquitous as Chicken Finger Friday on the Gettysburg How College campus. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I know. I t went right to the heart of one thing that you like with one thing that you don't. But uh, <laughs> yeah. in any case, yeah, those calls are pretty ubiquitous. But, you know, I think maybe what, what we ought to maybe what needs to be reframed here is that we need fewer calls for conversation and more just listening to what's already being, being said. And so, you know, I think there was a concern that Emma Stabach raised that a number of the submissions to a petition that was circulating were not considered before the college reaffirmed its support for Josh mm -hmm. to be the commencement speaker. And Dean Ramsey in this letter says that, you know, she's read many of these comments and they're heartbreaking. And, and so if your heart's broken, you tend to do something. Yeah. And I think I get that we're also like on a deadline in some ways, you know, but I think, I think the crux of it, at least I think what you and I are getting at is that one issue does not equal another. And just because, and maybe that's something that I, not everyone else has come to the conclusion of, but I think that what's important is that we we can do what we want about the Josh situation. That's not, you know, that's not my say. That's not your say. That's, you know, the administration and that the group of students that were involved in it. However, um, I think that the, the most important way that this could have been handled is if Dean Ramsey said, you know, reaffirm, if she wanted to reaffirm Josh, which she did, reaffirm Josh, but then say, we are still going to look into this petition. I still want to be involved in what's going on with this petition. Maybe it needs to be reframed that it's not about Josh anymore, but like still providing a place to anonymously or otherwise state your concerns with the way it's being handled. Because at the end of the day, um, what Josh did, no one can and no one will compare what Josh did to what 
you know, a convicted assaulter has done. So I think being able to separate the two and say, just because this wasn't handled the way you wanted it to be, just because Josh is still speaking. Um, and I'm sorry if you are hurt by that, but I still want to try to do what I can to rectify these situations that are frankly, and I'll say it, um, more serious than whether or not Josh Wagner is the commencement speaker. It's seven minutes or five minutes or whatever it is um, of Josh Wagner being commencement speaker versus your um, uh, a, a horrible situation that you have gone through not being handled correctly. And I think that that should be the focus for administrators and students and faculty um, handling now. It should not be about Josh anymore because at the end of the day, he wrote a funny or not funny satirical piece Um and what he wanted to do at the end of the day was raise the concerns about sexual assault. That has been done. Whether or not you thought it was done well, he did that. Move on. Or arguably, this petition did that. Sure. I mean, you could. Sure. I don't. Candidly, he did not succeed in doing that. That piece last spring really did not do a whole lot to raise the campus consciousness of this issue. There was a kind of. In the immediate aftermath, there was the response piece from the IFC and the Panhellenic Council, um, and then that was really it. And and so here, it does seem that the activism that's occurred has caught the ear of the administration to a greater extent than it did when this was uh, when this piece was published. And so you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. With that, we've kind of reached the end of the road, both for this episode and for this uh, semester. It's Friday of finals week as we record this. Yep. Any final thoughts on the semester, Gary? Um, I think, you know, it's weird to say because, like, I guess every semester you're going to say it's the most notable semester for you. But I think this has definitely been, within my first four semesters at Gettysburg, the most educational one very much out of the classroom, definitely. But I think um, this is the one thing I've learned is that regardless of the classes you take at Gettysburg College, um, sometimes the co-curriculars and just the weird forums that you go to in Mara Auditorium will teach you a lot more um, than just a given class. Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly the case. I personally am excited about what may happen here with the the incoming president. You know, I ha, attending faculty meetings in particular has been a unique experience to say the least this year. Yeah. But one of the most one of the most pervasive and recurring themes at those meetings has been this demographic challenge that lies on the horizon for not just Gettysburg, but for all kinds of liberal arts colleges where the number of college-going students um, is going to decrease and the number of those who want to go to a liberal arts college is going to decrease. And so how do we plan for that? And some have said, well, we plan for that by having a business major, which is something that, you know, incoming prospective students, prospective students and some, you know, who don't come here cross Gettysburg off the list because we don't have that. And so mm -hmm. one way you appeal to those people is to have that. But what I think is more the case and, and why Gettysburg is well positioned to, you know, be able to weather these challenges and, and to emerge, you know, better, stronger in the future is that 
we're on pretty firm footing these days. Mm. And, you know, certainly it's been the result of a great deal of work by a great number of people, but it would be difficult to imagine being in as strong a place as we are, absent the contributions of our retiring president, who, you know, came into a tenuous situation 11 years ago with a former president whom not a whole lot of people on this campus have a whole lot of nice things to say about. Um, And immediately at the beginning of President Riggs's presidency, you know, we entered the 2008 financial debacle, which um, threatened the college's finances just as it did the finances of people across the country. And and we kind of made it through that. And then, you know, the endowment was a big concern. And and certainly that's a remaining concern that I think a lot of people are excited about the prospect of uh, Bob Uliano to help, um, you know, address. But we did a large campaign. um, And and so I think that there are a lot of a lot of issues that could have sunk or threatened to rock the boat, so to say, whatever metaphor you'd like, of the college over the past uh, 11 years that President Riggs has steadied and maybe certainly, and I think she would agree, and she said, there's unfinished work to be sure, but that, you know, we're well positioned and have, by all accounts, a highly capable um, and and well-regarded individual coming in to to lead the next chapter, so to say, of Gettysburg College. And so all of that is to say that as someone who tends to be a little, a little on the cynical side, I do think there are some, certainly there are challenges on the horizon for Gettysburg College, but yeah. I would say there's a reason to be optimistic too. Interesting. And perhaps we'll end there. That's on target for this week. We'd like to thank President Janet Morgan Riggs for being our featured guest today. We'd also like to thank the staff of the Gettysburgian and the executive board of WZBT for their ongoing support in this project. Please be sure to listen to On Target on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. On Target is a joint production of the Gettysburgian and WZBT. Our theme music was composed by Diego Rocha, a senior music major soon to graduate from the Sunderman Conservatory of Music. Interestingly, he'll be going on to pursue a master's degree in music composition next year. Congratulations, Diego. Everyone else, have a great summer, and we hope you'll join us again in the fall. That's all for this semester of On Target. Have a great summer.